The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. As Jesus continued his journey to Jerusalem, he traveled through Samaria and Galilee. As he was entering a village, ten lepers met him. They stood at a distance from him and raised their voice, saying, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. As they were going, they were cleansed. And one of them, realizing he had been healed, returned, glorifying God in a loud voice. And he fell at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus said in reply, Ten were cleansed, were they not? Where are the other nine? Has none but this foreigner returned to give thanks to God? And then he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has saved you. The Gospel of the Lord. In celebrating the memory of Pope St. Leo the Great, one of the things that we celebrate is the way the Lord governs and guides his people by means of the shepherds that he raises up. And it is important that we do that, especially in the light of that challenging reading that we had from the Book of Wisdom which speaks directly to those who have been given leadership and authority in this world. And note the strong words with which the author of the Book of Wisdom addresses them. The importance of in one's authority and in one's status and in one's glory, not turning his or her back on the way that God has appointed for us to walk and move and live. Because when the leader goes off course, so too do the people. And the reminder that the Lord is not impressed in any way at all by any form of earthly greatness. There is no degree of status so high and exalted on this earth that it gets the Lord's attention. There is no individual so accomplished that Almighty God pauses in wonder at his achievements. There is no life so grand or so great that its brilliance and its glory causes the Lord to squint because the light is so bright. There is no earthly authority that God pauses before. And this reminder then that all of this comes from God who created the great as well as the small. In fact, 
the reality is all of us are small in the eyes of God. But that warning that those who have been gifted with a certain greatness on earth, be it a greatness of status or authority of wealth, those who have been gifted with a position of some honor are accountable for the weight of that honor, the weight of that position, and have a degree of responsibility that goes beyond the ordinary because they've been blessed in a way that goes beyond the ordinary. What a remarkably important idea that is. And it's not merely an idea, it is the truth. But the weightiness that sits and settles over the shoulders of anyone gifted with leadership. And the greater the gift, the greater the weight. And human history is littered with the example of those who received that weight and that burden wrongly and exercised it recklessly to the detriment of the people under their care and the detriment of their eternal, immortal soul. You know, what, a, what a weighty thing to say that on some levels the salvation of the leader depends on the quality of the leadership of his people. And this is where the example of a man like Pope St. Leo is so very important. Because we have before our eyes a truly faithful and heroic pastor. One who founded his life on the wisdom of the Lord and refused to compromise or lay aside that wisdom simply to get by in this world. And there's a remarkable story. There are many remarkable stories about Pope St. Leo. But one of the most widely told and most beautiful is an act of boldness that he engaged in when Attila and his Huns had broken into Italy and were ravaging the cities, not just of Europe, but of Italy, and were approaching the gates of Rome itself. And while that once proud empire, Rome, quaked in fear, at the arrival of the savage barbarian who they'd heard about in stories of those who fled before him. As Attila and his army approached the city, Leo went out to meet him with no army. He went out as the Holy Father and the shepherd of the people of Rome before the barbarian who came to ransack and destroy the city, he walked out with no earthly authority other than that spiritual authority over the people of God that was his as Bishop of Rome and Pope of the church. Why would this unbelieving barbarian bent on conquest, have any reason to pause before Leo. He had chased kings before him. He had ransacked empires. And 
here comes this man. On the one hand, in the oppressive garments of the Holy Father, but a man. No stronger than any other. No taller than any other. A man, fragile and weak, and Attila and his army had slain thousands of men. And yet that day, Attila turned away from Rome. He advanced no further. And as a result of his meeting with Leo, he turned away. And his own army didn't understand it. They had seen him stare down the great armies of nations. They had seen him with kings begging before him. And this man came to see him. This man with no army, with no earthly might. And he left. And as the, stale, as the story has come down to us, his own officers questioned him. They couldn't understand how this bold and fearless and reckless warrior would simply turn away. And apparently, and he turned to his officers and said that he saw more than Leo. That there were others, there were others that their eyes couldn't see standing behind this one man. Two men, not an army, two men, radiant. And from the description that he gave was the two great saints whose martyrdom planted the faith in Rome, St. Peter and St. Paul. It was an experience of Leo as that one who spoke with the fullness of the apostolic authority. How amazing that a, a non-believing warlord could see that so clearly, and so many of us just miss it all the time. What a remarkable, what a remarkable incident. This is but this one. You know, when Leo stepped out to see Attila, it wasn't because he got a message from heaven saying, don't worry, Peter and Paul will be standing behind you. They got your back. You know, the remarkable thing was his willingness to lead his people, even in the face of so great a threat. And not to beg not to negotiate, but to go forth as a man of the gospel. And one who, even though he wasn't the emperor, said, all of these people, believing or unbelieving, are under my care. No better example of what the Book of Wisdom is speaking about than this remarkable example. And so it is good that we have this date on the calendar where we remember him. And it is good that we have it on this particular day this year when our gospel reading as well speaks of the importance of gratitude. The gospel reading we have of the 10 lepers in St. Luke is commonly used every year when people gather for Thanksgiving Mass. And it makes a certain amount of sense there, but the gospel is actually more effective off of Thanksgiving Day. 
because then it is free from the baggage we bring with our understanding of the holiday and we can see the great spiritual truth that it is communicating and it's an important one. As is often the case in the Gospels, it's a deceptively simple story. It's much more complicated than we give it credit for, much more subtle than we give it credit for. We reduce it to they called out for Jesus, Jesus healed them, and only one was grateful. But there's a lot more going on here than that. In part because of how the story ends, not how it begins. It's only at the end of the story that Jesus says, your faith has saved you. And so only one of the ten hears the Lord acknowledge his faith. Now, isn't that interesting? Didn't ten people cry out? But only one is saved by his faith? How does that work? It doesn't take faith to cry out to the Lord. Sometimes desperation is enough. And so there are the ten lepers and nothing has worked. You know the old expression, there are no atheists in foxholes? They, you know, when we're desperate, when we're in crisis, we turn and we cry out to heaven, but that's not necessarily an act of faith. It's an act of, I've got nowhere else to go, let me try this. And so here it is, ten cry out, Jesus, Master, save us. And that's not a bad thing to do, but by itself, all that is, is need crying out for help. And it's crying out in this direction because Jesus happens to be nearby. That's not necessarily an act of faith in Jesus, an act of belief in Jesus. It's an act of maybe, maybe something will happen if I do this. And so note, what we see at the beginning is we know nothing about whether there's faith here. What we know is that there's need, need crying out. And the Lord hears the cry. And hearing the cry of the need, he looks upon them. Notice not, and again, St. Luke uses a very beautiful way of describing this. He says, it's not when Jesus heard them, it's when he saw them. They called, he turned to them. And looking upon them, speaks to them. And as he looks at them, looks upon them, sees them fully and completely, says, go and show yourselves. Note what it doesn't say. It doesn't say he cured them at that moment. Just go and show yourselves. And to all of their credit, they turned and went. But note that the scriptures doesn't say that they were healed as soon as Jesus spoke to them. At some point, as they're moving, one of them realizes something has happened. How absolutely remarkable that is. The fact that the healing is recognized 
and received only when one has begun to obey. And this is marvelous because it's reasonable to assume that at that point all ten have been healed. But nine keep going. In a sense, they don't even realize what has happened. Think of your own life. How many blessings have passed through your hands and left you because you didn't slow down to appreciate it? How many moments in your life has there been goodness? And it was really there, but you missed it. And it wasn't because the goodness wasn't there. It's because you were busy doing something else. Because your heart was heading elsewhere. How many times in our own households do we miss one another? Not because we're not together, but because our lives are moving in directions that cause us to miss each other even when we're right next to each other. Note what we see here in this reading, in this marvelous tale of the ten lepers. All, something has happened to all of them. But nine only give it a passing glance. You know, like that spoiled child who receives a wonderful gift, says a superficial thank you, sets it down, and goes on with something else. On the one hand, yes, he received it. On the other hand, no, he never did. It passed through his hands and was set down. And he moved away from it. And that is just one of the most common dimensions of human life. As much as we say we want goodness, we don't know how to receive it. We don't know how to hold on to it. Because we're always looking to get to the next thing. That's the beauty and the power here. This is where gratitude shows its power. Because gratitude is the wellspring of faith. We get it wrong sometimes. We think faith produces gratitude, and it can. But this is an incident that shows that faith springs from being grateful. One looks down, realizes he's been healed, and he stops. And he lets it register. I have been made again. The sores that covered my body are gone. That thing which cut me off from my family and my people has been taken away from me and I don't have that anymore. He allows himself to experience it. And what happens? This is the greatness of gratitude. In experiencing the gift, his heart thinks of the giver. 
how great a gift that Jesus has given me. You see, when I set the gift aside quickly, what I don't realize that I'm doing is I'm setting aside the giver. If you take time to choose a gift for me and at expense acquire it and give it to me and I receive it, nod my head and just put it away, haven't I also put you aside? And so look at what happens. Nine continue moving, but the other says, I must go to the giver. And so note, it is his gratitude that brings him to Jesus. And he doesn't come to Jesus now as a desperate man crying out in need. He comes and gets on his knees before the Lord. It produces worship. And his act of thanks is a praise of God given in the presence of Jesus Christ. Gratitude brings him to Christ. Gratitude is the fountain of worship. And it is to the one who comes, who received and returned, that the Lord says, go, your faith has saved you. Not the faith out of which you cried before, which was weak and merely desperate, but this faith, this faith out of the gift that I have given you, which now allows you to know who I am. The more I know the gift, the more I know the giver. Note how beautiful that is and how important it is for us. Because you may not realize it, but that's why you're here today. The word Eucharist means giving of thanks. This great sacrament, which is the source and summit of Christian life, is an act of thanksgiving before it is anything else. Thanksgiving for all that God has done for us in his Son. Thanksgiving for all that God continues to do for us in our lives. And in our gratitude, what do we do? Even though our lives are heading in many directions, we pause and we come to meet the giver. And that gratitude brings us together. That gratitude brings us to worship. That gratitude brings us here where literally in a few minutes we will be on our knees, grateful before the Lord. In fact, the way that the Eucharistic prayer begins with the preface, that part of right before the Holy Holy, Every time at Mass, when that's being said, what the church is doing is listing reasons why we're grateful. It's things that we are thankful for, that God has done for us, to prepare us for that great act of thanksgiving by means of which Christ himself becomes present. In our gratitude, the Lord is present, but the Lord himself then becomes our thanksgiving, becomes our offering. How absolutely marvelous. And just as the Lord says to the one who comes to him with such gratitude, and now go, your faith has saved you. 
what happens at the end of Mass, but we hear the word, go. You who've gathered in faith and gratitude and joy, go now. Go now back to that life and that world. Go, but don't forget to come back here. How beautiful this is. You know, the most basic reason why we have Mass every Sunday as an obligation is this. We can't forget the giver. We can't set aside the gift. And when we appreciate the gift, the law of gratitude itself is one must go to the giver and give his thanks. That's the very essence of the Sunday obligation. It's not an obligation as merely a rule to follow. It's the requirement, the fundamental requirement of how a grateful heart must act. And so regularly, the discipline of gratitude, week after week, week after week, so that we cultivate this disposition within our lives. And how marvelous it is that we who come here with grateful hearts also come forward and extend our hand asking for more. And the Lord is pleased to continue giving. How absolutely wonderful. But we don't come merely as the desperate lepers crying out, Lord, do something. I hope you can because I have nowhere else to go. On any given day, we might feel that, but our faith allows us to say that with something more than desperation. We can cry out in our need with confidence because we already know who he is. And we who are needy and grateful at the same time can come forward to him who places his very self in our hands to make us whole and to continue caring for us until that day where he receives us into the joy of the eternal abode he has promised for us. This is our last day of our All Souls Novena. And a necessary element of praying for our departed brothers and sisters is also a certain amount of gratitude for them. In fact, why else would we pray for them? We appreciate them. We value them. And we come to the Lord on their behalf because we are grateful that he has placed them in our lives. Gratitude, too, in this way, brings us to the one who is the giver of all good gifts. But it brings us to him with not mere earthly thanksgiving, but that great thanksgiving that produces faith and deepens it and strengthens it. Amen.